This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. Good evening. Hey, I've been so excited about this evening ever since Cody uh, told me about it. First, it is just an incredible honor to be able to be here with you and hopefully be able to encourage you a little bit tonight um, and to share a little bit of uh, my wife's and my story with you. Um, Secondly, Cody's been, like he mentioned, has been a dear friend of mine for uh, over 20 years, and I love how God is using he and Stacy here, and it's just, it's a privilege to be able to just make a small contribution into that um, this evening. And then, to be able to partner with the Jeff Dodge, tonight, like, the only problem is that Cody put me second instead of first in this, because it's a tough act to follow. Jeff, Teresa, thanks for um, the example that you've set for so many uh, of us. Um, yeah, Jeff's one of those guys who, like, you know, like Cody said, has, has, has been among those who have most shaped my love for Jesus, my love for his word, my love for the church, my love for my wife. Um, and so it's an honor to partner with you tonight, brother. brother. Um, so 16 years ago this past Friday, I was leading worship at a, a youth retreat in a small camp up in near Lansing, Iowa. I'd convinced my girlfriend, Michelle, to come up for a few hours. She lived in Ames at the time. I lived in Minneapolis, and it was worth it to see her for a couple of hours, or at least convince her that it was worth it to come see me for a couple of hours. And uh, when she got there, I took her by the hand, and I asked her if she wanted to go for a walk. My heart was racing. My words were nonsensical. We walked down this path through the snow to this old gazebo that was near this frozen creek where candles had been placed in the snow and lit and they're flickering. And there's a Bible laid open to Matthew 19 where these words are highlighted. In the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I was young. I was in love. I was pretty foolish, not even knowing that the text that I had put out there for my girlfriend to read was actually in the context of a discussion Jesus was having with the Pharisees about divorce. (laughs) But nonetheless, I knelt down on one knee there in the snow. I pulled out a ring bought from the Shane Co. You guys, my name is Shane. This is the Shane Co. Jewelry Company. And I asked this woman if she would spend the rest of her life with me. Fortunately, she said yes. We got a photo of our wedding day there. And uh, yeah, that was, that was 16 years ago. <clears throat> It's not the only photo from my wedding day, actually, though, that I want you to see. There's this one also. Um, <clears throat> I, think that, I think you were singing My Girl, weren't you? You are singing My Girl. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, uh, yeah, so just proof. Cody and I have been friends for a while enough that we gave him a microphone at at our wedding. Uh, this next photo is, brings us to today. So that's our, that's our crew there, um, our wild crew, 1311, 86, and 555. We call them the triplets. 
and uh, we get a lot of stares. Um, I don't wear cool vans, but I drive a gigantic van. Um, and although I do, <laughs> when it comes to gigantic vans, I, I feel like I drive the cool gigantic van. It's a Ford Transit. So the chassis of a 15 passenger, but only 12 seats. So we got the cargo space in the back. Like, it's real nice. And, and no, I know what you're thinking, but no, we, we don't homeschool. Um, we, we love our public schools and Ames, and more importantly, we love getting the kids out of the house. So, um, so that's us. I've been a pastor for 15 years, five years at a small Baptist church in Elgin, Iowa, and then for the last 10 years in Cornerstone Church in Ames. Uh, something else that you might um, find helpful to know about us, the, the most consistent argument that my wife and I are having right now is about whether or not I can get a vasectomy. So there's that. Um, okay, don't do it. All done, all done. A couple of weeks ago, a, 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 a couple of weeks ago, we went out on, on date night. Our oldest two are at the age and the level of responsibility to babysit, which is amazing, okay? That's a great day to reach. And so, um, so my wife and I are going out. We decided to go out to someplace really fancy, a place called Red Lobster. And, and, and my wife loves Red Lobster, which is fascinating because she hates seafood, um, but she really likes the biscuits. So, so, so we have our four-course meal. It's fifteen ninety-nine, and we're uh, you know chasing it down with the brownie sundae you know combo there at the end. And then we're like, "What do you want to do now?" And both of us look at each other and like, "All we really want to do is be in my pajamas, in our bed, watching a spicy episode of Fixer Upper." And <laughs> and, and and the problem. It would have been fine. The problem, though, is no joke. It's 7.15 p.m. <laughs> so, so I kid you not, we proceed to drive home, and we sneak into our house without our children knowing it, and we get into our bedroom, get ready for bed. It is 7.30 p.m., and we are laying in our bedroom quietly watching uh, an episode of something on, on HGTV. And around 8 o'clock, we heard our daughter Addie coming upstairs. The littles are all tucked in, which is awesome. Um, and she walks into our bedroom to get something, is terrified to find two adults in there that look strikingly <laughs> similar to her parents. And I'm all like, don't move. Maybe she can only sense movement. <laughs> like a T-Rex, and, and so that, that really kind of essentially describes the extent of how naturally adventurous we are. We're, we're not, okay? We're not. We're not naturally, let's go do something crazy tonight kind of people, but when Cody, so when Cody asked me to speak to a, a room full of couples about the idea of mission, the reality is if you had told me that 15 years ago, that someday we'd, we'd have a story to tell that perhaps, you know, might encourage some others. I would have thought that you were nuts. But nonetheless, God has a sense of humor, and here we are hoping to encourage you a little bit tonight. So it's often struck me as fascinating that the first messianic promise in the Bible really comes in the garden, before the fall. 
It really comes before the fall when God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for you, Adam, to be alone. And so he makes a helper suitable for him. And then he proceeds to officiate the first wedding there as he gives this daughter of his who's made in his image over to be this man's wife and the two become flesh. And in Ephesians 5, Paul provides a commentary on this, this, what's the reality of what's happening there, right? Which, by the way, Genesis 2.24 would have been the right text for me to use in my, in my proposal as opposed to Matthew 19. Um, but, uh, but Paul says these famous words in reference to Genesis chapter 2. He says, this is a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So before the fall, before sin, God in his foreknowledge knows that he's going to need to send a savior. And that in the first marital union in the garden, God is saying, I got work for you to do. I'll make you a helper that will work to till the soil, to plant the seed, to reap its fruit. However, make no mistake, there's a work that is coming one day that's going to be bigger than the work in the garden. And I'm going to use marriage to catalyze and maximize that work. And so know that God has made our marriages for a redemptive work, for a mission in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our places of recreation, a mission to make God look glorious and posturing ourselves on our knees with open hands and humble hearts crying out, God, use us, use us. You're on a mission, God, and we want to join you. So use us, us. Use us together. And this is what, this is what God's been doing in, in our life. And I'd like to share a little bit about it. So I had no plans of being a pastor. I'm certainly no theologian, but God had other plans. And the whole time that we've been in pastoral ministry, God was cultivating a heart for adoption in my wife. I was slower to get there, but eventually the Lord opened my heart to it, and he accelerated that heart when uh, we joined staff at Cornerstone Church in 2010 and saw that a culture for adoption and foster care was being formed. Troy, our founding pastor, and his wife Pam had adopted two boys from Africa. Jeff and Teresa had become foster care licensed parents, and, um, and families throughout the church were beginning to catch this vision for orphan care. And to date, 97 children have been adopted through families at Cornerstone. Another 30-ish families are licensed to provide foster care. So it was in 2015 that we said yes. We said yes, and it started with a little girl from Ghana, Africa, found at six weeks old in a dumpster. She was HIV positive. And we decided this was the time. We contacted our agency and began our home study, already feeling our hearts begin to be knitted together to this little girl so that we had never met. We were pretty bummed to learn that another family had also felt called to adopt this little girl. We know that was a good thing. That was a beautiful thing, but it certainly conflicted with our desire. And they were further along in the paperwork process than we were, and so that door was closed. However, God used it to give us the full green light that this was the time for us to, to move forward. And so um, from there, um, he, he led us to a country we'd never heard of before, the Central African Republic. 
It was a country, it's a country in the heart of sub-Saharan Africa, a landmass about the size of Texas, a country that's been torn apart by civil war, 600,000 displaced people as a result of the, of the war and tens of thousands of orphans who have experienced horrific atrocities there. Our agency matched us with two little orphans who father, whose fathers were killed in the war and whose mothers died two days apart from each other out in the bush where they had escaped after rebels came and burned down their village. And they were left with their extremely old and frail grandmother. The children were dying of malnutrition. Grandmother sought out the village chief to get poison to give to the children because she couldn't bear to watch them suffer any longer. And the chief encouraged her to take them to a small medical clinic in the village of Sabute where uh, perhaps they could receive some care. And so grandmother chose that path instead. And once they arrived at the clinic, a small orphanage outside of the village started by a man in Marshalltown, Iowa, was notified of the two children. And the orphanage brought them in and began nursing them back to health. So our first step to be formally matched with uh, these two was to go on a bonding trip, right? Where we would meet the children for the first time. And I'll put it this way, the trip was a, a total nightmare, right? And, and, and there wasn't exactly any bonding going on during this trip. There's a ton of details in here that kind of craft a story that reads more like a suspense fiction novel. Uh, but we, we'll, we only have time for a few, few highlights here tonight. So the, tri- the, the trip went from comically nightmarish to terrifyingly nightmarish when the road that we had been traveling on for about four hours to go meet our kiddos got hijacked by about 30 armed rebel fighters. We received word that they were occupying a bridge about a mile from where we were and that we were, going to be, we were not gonna be able to travel any further. We only had about 20 miles to go to the village where our kids were. Um, and, and so here my wife and I, and I are, um, we're, uh, uh, we're by ourselves, <laughs> or we don't know anybody um, there, and, um, and we're, quite frankly, terrified. So we drive all the way back to the capital, certain that we weren't going to meet our kids, and questioning what in the world were we doing in the country that the Canadian Travel Ministry had literally just deemed the most dangerous country on planet Earth, ahead of places like Syria and Afghanistan and North Korea. So that night we received word that UN troops had come through and arrested some of the men and the rest had escaped into the jungle and the road was open once again. And so reluctantly, we would make another attempt in the morning. On edge the entire time, we're praying unceasingly, we made it to the village. And that afternoon, we got to drive out to the bush, to the tiny village of refugee huts where our children had been discovered starving to death and brought into the orphanage. And we're going out to the bush to meet Atta. Grandma Sarah was her name. We didn't know what to say to her. We saw her, she was cooking a baby bird in a leaf over a fire for her meal. My wife was brilliant in the moment. She, she drew close to Grandma Sarah. She wrapped her arms around her. She began to sing a song over her. And she, as best as she could through a translator, communicated to her how grateful we were for her taking care of the children until the orphanage came and provided adequate care for, for them. 
So Grandma Sarah then proceeds to tell us this story through our translator. The rebels had chased them from their village and they were in hiding in the bush. They were starving. It was Sarah, Grandma Sarah, her two daughters, and their two children, Tony and Solange, who were, um, we were working to adopt. Tony and Solange are biological cousins. So each of their dads were dead. There in the bush, Tony's mother was dying slowly of a prolonged illness. And Solange's mother um, gets a headache and two days later dies. And so now Grandma Sarah is suddenly burying one of her daughters and is preparing to bury the other who she knows will die very soon. And as that mother is laying on her deathbed, she says to Grandma Sarah, I know you are scared. I know you are afraid you won't be able to care for these children. Do not worry. God will protect you. And then she says something to Grandma Sarah that Grandma Sarah is telling us that causes us to freak out. She says, and white people will come. And when they do, you should give the children to them and they will take care of them. And Grandma Sarah looks at us in this moment and she says, and this is what has come true today. From that moment, we got on the plane from, from the moment that we had got on the plane from Paris to Bangui, C.A.R., spent our time there and got on a return flight. We had only seen one other person and it was on the return flight out of country. We'd only seen one other person that had skin that looked like ours, with the exception of a missionary family that lived in the capital city four hours away. We were only the third adoption on record in the entire country. It is most probable that Grandma Sarah had never even seen a person with white skin like ours. And when we finally got to meet Tony and Solange later that afternoon, they were absolutely terrified of us because of the color of our skin. And so later I asked Samuel, the African man who's the orphanage director there, as I'm just confused by this whole thing. And I said, why would she say that? Why would she say those words? And he replies confidently without any hesitation, she had a vision. What you might call a prophecy, God told her that. Michelle asked Grandma Sarah if she could take a picture with her, and her reply was, yes, for now you are my daughter. So think about this. A mom is dying. She's terrified, wondering how is it possible that these two children are going to be cared for, and that Grandma Sarah, knowing she's not going to be able to care for it, and she's, her days are numbered as well, how will her baby and her niece be cared for? A grandmother that's terrified, preparing to bury her, her second daughter in two days. How will she care for these two toddlers, let alone herself? This couple from Ames, Iowa, terrified. What in the world are we doing in the most dangerous country on planet Earth, war-torn, rebel-infested, with kids who won't even look at us without screaming, and our five biological children an ocean away, and God, in his sovereignty and goodness, provided the message that each one needed to hear, that the mom needed to hear, 
that grandma needed to hear and certainly that we needed to hear. And it was God saying, I'm way ahead of you. I'm way ahead of you. A year later, we returned to Africa to pick up our son and daughter and bring them back to Iowa. And now here we are two and a half years later from that date. And Tony and Solange, they're Roethlisberger's. They're Roethlisberger's. One night, those two happened to be a tad bit late to the dinner table. And so it was just Michelle and I and our five biological children. And it struck me. And I said, you guys, this is what it would be like if we had never adopted Tony and Solange. And without missing a beat, our spunky seven-year-old said, oh, that would be so boring. Because I have so much more I would love to share, but that's not for tonight. We had only had them home for about six months, and Michelle began dropping little hints that she felt like maybe we were supposed to adopt again. And I was like, oh, heck no. (laughs) I had good reason. I was burdened by the stewardship that we were entrusted with our five bio and now two adopted and our marriage and our, and our church was going through some, some, some struggles and, and I was completely burdened by those things. And, um, but God, God met us there and, and he calmed my anxious heart and brought unity between my wife and I on that. And so we started out again uh, on another adoption. And so that was a year and a half ago, and now we're, all we're waiting on is a visa. Um, but we have another son who's legally ours. Uh, his name is Jordan from the same orphanage in the same country in the heart of Africa. And we're just waiting to, to bring him home. Um, so, um, so I tell you that. I tell you that. So it's, that's, that's our story. That's, that's a glimpse into, into our story and something that... Um, it is a mission that's become really near and dear to our hearts and, and kind of a, a, a rallying cry in our family. In fact, just yesterday we were talking, um, uh, kind of reflecting on <clears throat> what the next 10 years might, might hold. And uh, if, if our oldest, Malachi, who's 13, if, if he follows in our exact same footsteps, uh, before we get out of this next decade, we'll be grandparents. And when you have seven children, it's likely that's going to introduce a lot of grandchildren. And, uh, and then one of my kids, so we were talking about that, and, and, and Addie, my second oldest, just said, and, and don't forget, like, we're probably all going to adopt. And, and I was like, yeah, I, I hope so. I hope that's true. I hope that's part of the culture that we're, that we're creating. So... So here's what I, what I want to leave you with. Um, I, I, I have five points because I'm not as good of a preacher as Jeff, who, who does it in three. Um, but, uh, but I'll make these pretty quick here, okay, as you're thinking about just, I don't know, processing some of the things that are shared. So the first one really is just this. Friendship matters. Like friendship and marriage matters. Marriage is hard work. Make no mistake, it's hard work, but it, it shouldn't be toilsome. It shouldn't be toilsome. It's, it's hard work, but it shouldn't be toilsome. And if it is, get help. 
please get help. Talk to your pastor. Talk to a counselor. Invite a wiser, more experienced couple to speak truth into your life and sit at their feet and say, tell us what we need to hear. We're listening. Because guys, the type of mission that God is going to call us on and wants to call many in this room on and has called many in this room on is often going to be difficult. You see, it's easy to tell a compelling, heartfelt story about the good things in an adoption like that. But I could just as easily sit up here and share about all of the challenges and the brokenness in it. Adoption is hard. Parenting is hard. Loving your neighbor can be hard. Giving a lot of money away can be hard. Serving in Candeo Kids' classroom can be hard. But when you can laugh with your spouse through the hardship and the chaos, and you know for absolute certain your best friend is alongside you, and that they're not going anywhere, there is so much beauty and joy in the trial. So take the things that Jeff said to heart. Work hard at cultivating real friendship with your spouse. Second thing, you might be asking, okay, so where do we start? If we, we don't, haven't really kind of identified a mission for our marriage, uh, where do we start? Well, you start where God starts. And God's plan for his redemptive work starts in the church. It starts in the church. I hope you love your church. I hope you love this church. If you don't, start loving her. Start loving her. And as you, as you commit and you make yourself faithful and you make yourself available and teachable, and as you position yourself as a contributor instead of a consumer, God will strengthen your marriage. He'll strengthen your friendship and he'll cultivate the things that he has sown into your heart and grow and shape and expand the mission that he's called you on. But start where the need is, not where your preference is. Is there a need for volunteers in a kid's classroom? Meet it. Start practicing saying yes in the small things so that you're better prepared to say yes when it's a lot more difficult and a lot more costly. Thirdly, look at the needs and the mission in the context that God has already placed you in. Don't go out looking for it somewhere that you've never been. Look for it right where God has placed you. Does your next door neighbor need help with anything? Is there a single mom at work who could really use some support? Is there a person at the gym that needs a friend? Fourthly, open your home. Open your home. Hospitality is one of the most repeated and explicit commands and themes throughout the scriptures. Hospitality, not just opening your homes to people we love to be around, but actually extending kindness to the stranger. Saturday, January 25th was uh, the Chinese New Year. And we have a friend, um, we, we call her our adopted Malaysian daughter. And she's been a dear friend of ours for over a decade. And she recently moved to Ames and has a, a, a job at the university there. And she works with a lot of international students. And she, she um, more or less told us, hey, I, I, I'm, I want to, I'm gonna host a New Year's party at your house. Uh, and, and we're like, awesome, that's great. And so we were planning on that. And um, about three days, it was like Wednesday, and this party's on Saturday. She says, oh, oh so, so the party goes from noon to nine, um, and, and there's going to be about 25 to 35 people there. <laughs> and we're like, okay, I, I guess we know what we're doing all day Saturday. And, and about, you know, 
30 international students flowed into our house over the course of that day. And it was a delight and it was tiring and it was awesome. And our kids saw and experienced hospitality and culture and, and it was awesome by just saying, hey, our, our house is yours. Use it, use it. Um, and, and then the last thing I wanna say here is I, I don't want you to hear our story and think that should be our story. <laughs> Like that's not, we don't share, that's, that's our story. That may not be your story or what God is calling you to. Um, there are probably a few in here who maybe God's already stirred adoption or foster care in, uh, in your hearts. And maybe tonight is like, you just really feeling that tug. Here's what I would encourage you with first. If that's you, if you haven't done so, meet with one of your pastors or meet with a mature person in your church before you uh, do a home study, before you sign a contract with any sort of agency, meet with a trusted pastor to help you evaluate whether or not the health of your marriage and your household, whether or not your parenting is a place where it would be in the best interest of an orphan to come into your home. Don't just assume that a child would be better off in your home. And if the pastor comes back, and, and says he's not confident that this is a good idea, likely means God's calling you to shore up some things in your life while moving towards orphan and widow care in other tangible ways. Because not everyone is called to adopt, but every one of us is called to respond to James 1.27, where God considers care for widows and orphans as pure and undefiled religion. So that might look like being a friend, to somebody who's in the trenches. It might mean like offering respite so they can go out for a night. It might mean praying, like actually praying every day, like praying in such a way that you believe that it actually impacts. Reaching out to them saying, how can I be praying? What can I specifically be praying for? Support them financially. It's expensive to adopt, right? We put $100,000 into three adoptions. It's expensive to adopt. It's even more expensive to raise children, <laughs> okay? So if you're, if you're that family that like God has just blessed you with a gift of, of generosity, you have resources and you see a family over here who's like, just, just bless them, just, just bless them. Be, be crazy generous with that, right? What if we treated foster care, adoptive families more like we treated missionaries, where you gave the holiday care packages or constant prayer cards, you know, hanging on your fridge or financial support or respite care, right? So um, that, that's enough about that, okay. So um, guys, I, I really, I love marriage so much. I, I, I just today, um, I was flipping through emails from when my um, girlfriend in college almost broke up with me <laughs> and, and I wouldn't let her um, and then she would become my wife. And, uh, and, and, I, and you just started thinking like, what, what if it hadn't happened? Like, what, if it, what, what if it hadn't happened? What if that hadn't come to fruition? And um, Guys, I, I think God just wants to deploy this room in here for radical, Christ-exalting, life-giving mission through your marriages. 
And, and that certainly would be um, my prayer for you. And I know that's Cody's prayer, Jeff's prayer uh, for you. So, um, so I'm going to leave you with a question here um, for a few minutes of discussion. Um, but, uh, but let me pray, and then, I'll, and then I'll put the question out here. God, I, I thank you for just your loving kindness to us. Thank you for the gift of marriage and um, Lord, it is for our happiness, but it is, it is more for our holiness that you would conform us to the image of Christ. And, uh, and as we're conformed to the image of Christ, you would just deploy us for um, the kind of mission that just makes you look awesome, that makes your name look great and, and causes an unbelieving world to look in and say that's so different, but it's so compelling and, and I pray that that would be, that this would be just a room full of testimony that is going out over and over and over again in their, in their, in their homes and among their children and, and in their office places, their workplaces, their neighborhoods, their places of recreation. And, uh, and certainly, Lord, in this church. Uh, and so, um, God, I pray you just do great things for your kingdom's sake, for your glory, and for the joy of your people. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 